You're listening to audio from Praxis Church Kelowna. Praxis is a new church plant that exists to follow Jesus and make him known. If you're interested in finding out more or joining us in person, go to praxischurch.ca. The reading today comes from the book of James, chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Welcome. It is great to be able to worship together. It's the highlight of my week every week. Uh, Gathering, singing praises, hearing from the word prayer. Uh, Just as an aside as we get going, uh, we do the scripture reading every week. And at the end of the scripture reading, the person reading scripture says, this is the word of the Lord. Now, you don't have to respond, but just if you're wondering, uh, in other churches, because we in my community group were talking about it this week, and about how it was something that they hadn't done before. But in, uh, in response to this, this statement, this is the word of the Lord, the congregational response is, thanks be to God. So next week, you can come back and you can uh, join in if you want. Okay, no pressure, but uh, we'd love to have you join in in, uh, in that small thing. Uh, I don't know if I already mentioned this, but my name's Colin. I'm on, on staff here with Cole and, and Josh and Wells. And uh, it's just great to be able to gather together. We will be in James 3 this morning, so if you have your Bibles, you'll want to grab them, turn there. If you don't have a Bible, we have some in the back. If you don't own a Bible, uh, we would love to give that to you as a gift. So please feel free to take one of those. If you feel uncomfortable getting up to get one now, take one on the way out, please. Uh, And before we dive into James 3, why don't I say a quick word of prayer. Father, you are good. By your Spirit, you have inspired the apostles and prophets before them to write your words down that we might know you that we might hear from you and know you as you have revealed yourself to us. Father, as we spend time in scripture today, uh, we pray the same words of the psalmist, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be honoring and pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, When I was a teenager, I often found myself doing things that I thought were, were wise, but in fact ended up being very unwise. It was a pretty regular thing for me. I don't know about any of you when you were teenagers, but there was this thing where I thought I was making the best decisions and I was actually making really terrible ones. The wisdom of my youth, uh, which I'm hoping has mostly subsided, was decidedly not wise wisdom. It was was false wisdom. Uh, One example comes to mind pretty quickly. Uh, When I was in 12th grade... Uh, the last semester of high school, I thought, you know, I would, I didn't in particularly enjoy some of the classes I was in and the content I was being taught. I thought maybe I should have maybe challenged myself more and taken harder classes, but it was my last semester. So I thought, I'm going to take it easy, get out of here. I just want to go to Bible college and we don't need to know anything about math in Bible college and, uh, or business for that matter. I was in a business class, uh, some sort of computer thing. And uh, one, par- one day in particular, I decided I didn't really feel like being in the class, 
And so I just didn't go. But there was a loophole to make it look like I was in class, which was the teacher would take attendance, and then they would put the sheet out in the hallway, and someone from the office would go by collecting them all. But there was always a gap between when the attendance was put out in the hallway and when the person from the office would pick it up. So in, if you were wise uh, and you wanted to get out of being in class, you could you know, go to the door, sneak by, hope your didn't, teacher didn't see you in the hallway, and indicate that you were there even though you weren't there. Uh, in, particularly, I, in particular, I did this on a day when it was uh, kind of the day they were sending home midterm reports, or at least this teacher in particular was sending home midterm reports, uh, and unbeknownst to me that that was happening, I went home and uh, talked to my mom like everything was business as usual. She asked me, Colin, how was school today? Pretty, pretty normal question on the way home, walking in the door after a day of school. I said, Mom, school was great today. You know, I learned all of this stuff in my business class. I learned how to do some programming. I'm making this, this great system. I, maybe I overcompensated because I focused in on that class pretty specifically. But she asked me, she said, oh, so you were in your business class today. I was like, I sure was. Here, you know, again, here's what we did. She said, that's interesting uh, that you say that because I just got off the phone with your teacher uh, and she said, you weren't in class. And I was like, Mom, like, there's 40 of us in class. Surely she just missed me. That happens, you know. Uh, in particular, though, uh, this teacher and I didn't see exactly eye to eye. Uh, so she had me sitting right next to her so that she could keep an eye on me. Now, again, the wisdom of youth, I thought, surely she uh, didn't remember that I was in class. And so I just kept kind of blaming the teacher, lying to my mom, thinking I'm going to get away with this. You know, there are two options in that situation. You can come clean, or you can dig deep and just keep going. And I chose the latter. So then I said, you know, next, tomorrow I'm, I'll come back home with my midterm report. I just left it in my locker, which I hadn't received because I wasn't in class. And then the next day I went to school, and, you know, I came home, and she, I mean, she had me for right from the beginning. There was no good way out of this. The wisdom that I thought I was utilizing in this moment was not true wisdom. It was faulty wisdom. It was a wisdom that had me undermining my mom, undermining the authorities over me, going against the way that God has structured the world. And uh, it was what James will call a worldly wisdom. In our text today in James, it tells us, uh, he tells us that the source of our wisdom is proven in the goodness and meekness of our conduct. The source of our wisdom is proven in the goodness and meekness of our conduct. And it doesn't take much to realize that the goodness of my conduct in the moment I lied to my mom, uh, you know, lied about my teacher, deception, that was not good conduct. That was not proper conduct. That was not a meek wisdom that James is talking about. That was not the evidence of true wisdom. So how can we know the difference? In my example, it's, it's pretty obvious. The right thing to do would have been first not to skip class. Second thing would have been not to lie to my mom. Third thing would have been to come clean once she caught me in a lie. But I, I kept going. I kept progressing. So how do we tell the difference? In my situation, it's, it seems obvious. But we all make decisions every day. The question is, what is the source of the wisdom that we utilize on a daily basis? What is the source of the wisdom that we're utilizing? To this question, our text in James will now turn. And coming off uh, the coattails of James warning about the many uh, 
warning against many becoming teachers due to harsher judgment that comes upon teachers. And then he goes on in verse 1, he talks about teachers specifically. In verse 2 of chapter 3, he expands it and says that we, uh, we all stumble in many ways. So verse 1 is, is teachers, verse 2, it expands to all of us. And then we move in into verse 13, uh, where we begin to see a shift from teaching to wisdom. And teaching and wisdom are often paired side by side because it, it, seems, it seems like a fair uh, thing to assume that those who are teaching, or a fair thing to desire, that those who are teaching will have some level of wisdom. But wisdom, however, is not something exclusive for teachers. But remember, in James 1 verse 5, it says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. God is faithful to provide for his people, and God desires for his people to be filled with wisdom. He says, ask, and I will give it to you. It's almost like it's a guarantee in James 1. If you ask, he is faithful to give it, he says. But the, the idea of wisdom then becomes a bit of an undercurrent in the rest of the book of James until here in, verse thir- in chapter 3. It doesn't come up as a specific idea, and yet it permeates the whole book. You might remember at the beginning of our series in James, or at the beginning of the James booklet, if you have one, uh, of the, J- the James series books, that James as a whole is encouraging the church to live a life marked by godly wisdom through godly practice. But the theme of wisdom has been often unstated, and now we pick it back up in James 3.13, which says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. This verse serves as a bit of a thesis statement. There's the idea. Let the one who is wise prove himself in his good conduct and meek wisdom. And then after the the thesis statement, there's a list of vices and virtues. We see this in, in the Bible pretty regularly. An idea, which is then explained... James is following this same thing. Uh, Some commentators have gone so far as to say that when James here is speaking of of wisdom, he's actually speaking of the Holy Spirit because, uh, well, where other authors will talk about how the Holy Spirit gives vice and virtue, gives wisdom, James doesn't talk about the Holy Spirit. He talks about wisdom. And if we think about this, it kind of makes sense. After all, the Holy Spirit imparts the wisdom of God to the people of God. 1 Corinthians 2.10 tells us that the the deep things of God have been revealed to us through the Spirit. And our prayer to God has been revealed to us through the Spirit. Our, Our prayer to God, asking for wisdom, will be accomplished through the Holy Spirit imparting wisdom to us. Of course, with a thesis statement like this, the question is, What does this practically look like in our lives? What does it mean to display wisdom in good conduct and meekness? James, is, as we've seen, is all about practicality, wisdom for life. And he's going to show us this in the verses that follow. But before we get ahead of ourselves, James begins by asking this question, which we've already read. Who is wise among you? Who is wise and understanding among you? It seems like a bit of a a catch. He's saying, identify yourselves. 
Who here is claiming wisdom? Who here is claiming understanding? It's a bit of a weird situation because if you were asked the question, who here claims to be humble, and someone, you know, raised their hands and starts waving around, your first thought is, well, that person's not very humble. But if you don't raise your hand in that situation, then you're, you're clearly not humble because you haven't just identified yourself as humble. Paul is doing, or James is doing something similar here. He's saying, who's wise? And then they'll, you know, they'll, they'll raise, look at me, I'm wise. But if you just identified yourself as wise and wisdom, according to James, is seen in meekness, in humility, then to identify yourself as wise seems to put you in a bit of an awkward spot. Wisdom is the same sort of character as humility. Those who are truly wise are generally the least likely to claim their wisdom. And wisdom, as James says, is more than just empty words, but is displayed in one's conduct and meekness. Nonetheless, James asks, who's wise? And he moves on to say something. He said a couple times already, the fruit reveals the root. The conduct reveals the source. Those who claim to be wise and understanding ought to be judged by what they are producing. True wisdom is revealed by good conduct displayed through weakness or through meekness, not weakness, although maybe that's similar too, that is humility and gentleness. Uh, in Galatians 5, we see a similar pattern of structure. In Galatians 5, 16, Paul writes, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul then in Galatians 5 will list the desires of the flesh and he'll follow them by the fruit of the Spirit. James is doing something similar. What wisdom looks like, what it doesn't look like, what it does look like. Again, this is why some commentators have suggested that wisdom in James is actually the Holy Spirit. Because the two seem to be pretty synced up. But we have to ask the question, first, what true wisdom isn't? And then, secondly, what true wisdom is? And we'll do it in that order because that's the order that the text does them in. So here's the first, what true wisdom isn't in James 3, verses 14 to 16. It says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. James wants to tell us what true wisdom isn't as the first part of this text. James moves from this question and thesis statement into the vice list of those whose wisdom finds its source in earthly and unspiritual things. And James does not hold back in his assessment. He says, a wisdom which produces jealousy and selfish ambition is a wisdom rooted in the demonic. A wisdom which produces jealousy and selfish ambition belongs to and is ruled by the kingdom of Satan rather than the kingdom of God. What does this jealousy and selfish ambition look like? Well, I think we can take an example from history and considering, as Josh has already mentioned, that it is... Uh, that it is Reformation Day today, we can take an example from the Reformation. Martin Luther 
banged 95 theses into the door of the Castle Church in Wittenberg, which uh, seems to us like a pretty provocative thing to do, but in their time, the, the, the doors of the church was kind of like the, the city bulletin board. They didn't have somewhere centralized otherwise that they would post things. So people would come and nail things to the door, you know, farmer's market next Saturday, uh, Martin Luther comes up, he posts his 95 theses. He wasn't doing this out of a desire, seemingly out of a desire to cause this big division in the church between the Catholic church and the Protestant church, though that was a consequence of it. But uh, the thing that, that led to this is that Martin Luther was, a, was a, a priest in the church. He had been raised up as a priest in the church. He was working in, uh, in Wittenberg and a few years before this moment, in 1517, a few years before this, a guy named Johann Tetzel was commissioned by the Pope to go and sell indulgences. Now, indulgences were something that you would buy, uh, that, I, that I could buy, we could buy, on behalf of our loved ones who were in purgatory. In the Catholic system, you live, you die, and then you go to purgatory where your sins are, are burnt off and you're refined, and then you go to heaven. So there are people living who believe that their loved ones are in this, this intermediate state where they're burning off their sins so that they can get to heaven. And the Catholic Church said, if you come and give us money, we can get them out of purgatory. They had a saying, when a coin in the coffer rings... A soul out of purgatory springs. You drop your money in, your loved one gets out. What the church didn't tell them is that the money that they were raising uh, was not to set souls out of purgatory, which is itself not a biblical idea, but was to pay off debt and to raise money to build a cathedral. St. Basilica, uh, Peter's Basilica, which is still existent and is a majestic cathedral. But out of their selfish ambition, they desired to make people seem, under the guise of helping free souls from purgatory, they were actually striving after selfish ambition to, you know, get away with a wad of cash, build something beautiful, lying and deceiving, creating all sorts of disorder in the church. Worldly wisdom earthly wisdom, unspiritual wisdom, is a wisdom concerned less about the things of God and more about the things of man. Jealousy and selfish ambition aren't the end of this worldly wisdom. James continues, right? He says, jealousy and ambition uh, come from this worldly, earthly, unspiritual, demonic wisdom, but it also produces disorder and every vile practice. Again, if we look at, at Romans uh, with Paul in Galatians 5, who suggests that, that those who don't walk in step with the Spirit will gratify the desires of the flesh instead. And, and these desires, the desires of the flesh that Paul is war warning them against, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries and dissensions, divisions, envies, drunkenness, orgies, and the things of these like, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who do such things inherit the kingdom of Satan. They are following after worldly, demonic, unspiritual wisdom. Or as James sums it up, they produce disorder and every vile practice. 
And that really seems like a fair summary, if you ask me, of the list in Galatians, in, of Galatians 5, doesn't it? Disorder and every vile practice. You look at this list, it seems pretty disordered. It's, it seems pretty vile. The reality is the wisdom of the world is diametrically opposed to the wisdom of God. The wisdom of the world is diametrically opposed to the wisdom of God. In 1 Corinthians 2, Paul says in verse 14, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. When Paul talks about the natural person, he's using the same word as James when he talks about the, the unspiritual wisdom. Unspiritual wisdom and the natural person are tied together. Why does the one who lives according to worldly wisdom not follow the wisdom of God? Because the one who follows after the wisdom of the world is born of the world, is a child of the world, and is unable to understand the things of God. When I was attempting to deceive my mother about my whereabouts the day I skipped class, I was following not the wisdom from above, but the wisdom from within. I wasn't following the wisdom of God, I was following the wisdom of man. My selfish ambition, my self-centered ambition to get away with something I knew was wrong led directly to disorder. The proper order, as I've already mentioned, would be for me to submit to my authorities, those who God has placed in authority over me. My teacher, sure, but my, my mom more so, specifically uh, in the Ten Commandments where it says, honor your father and mother. I lived a life of disorder. I failed abysmally to follow the wisdom as God has revealed it to us in Scripture. And when we take a moment to examine our hearts, what does it reveal about us? Are we striving after jealousy and selfish ambition? When I see a friend uh, in Vancouver, publishing a book and writing articles for a, a website that I would love to write articles for. When I feel the pangs of jealousy inside, thinking, I, I could do that. Is that me following the wisdom of God? Or is that me following after my jealousy and selfish ambition? When Josh and I get up on stage to preach... Are we doing this out of a desire for our name, for our fame, to be up in lights and have people know us and give us a pat on the back after church on Sunday saying that was really good? Are we doing it for our own wisdom, for our own ambition? In workplaces, when we look at coworkers, uh, co-workers promotion and think we deserved that in homes when we look at other families and wish we were more like them as kids when we want to defy the rules of those who are in authority over us what do our responses in these moments reveal about the source of our wisdom and if I look at my own life and in my own heart I would say more often than not it reveals that there is something wrong with me and we're all guilty of this not just those who aren't Christians, not just those who don't yet believe, but as Christians, we too are guilty of being misguided by the earthly, unspiritual wisdom of the world. It's not the way God created things to be. In Genesis 1, God creates everything good. In Genesis 2, he creates man, and he says it's very good. And in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve are guilty of being swayed by the wisdom of the world. 
Selfish ambition drove Adam and Eve to eat from the tree which God explicitly told them to mark and avoid. In Genesis 3, verse 6, it says, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. The desire for a wisdom which competes against the wisdom of God drove Adam and Eve to throw aside the wisdom of God for the wisdom of Satan. They threw aside what God revealed to be true in favor of what they wanted to be true. In our own lives, how often does a desire for fame or money, pleasure or promotion responsibility, a new car, to own a house, to have kids, to be healthy? How often do these desires reveal in us that we would rather follow after the wisdom of the world rather than the wisdom of God? Now, not all ambition is bad in and of itself. Ambition isn't a bad thing, necessarily. But what lengths will we go to, go to in order to achieve those ambitions? in order to accomplish our goals. What is the purpose of those ambitions? Is it for our glory or God's glory? Is it for our momentary satisfaction or God's eternal blessedness? Sometimes it seems like if we just follow the wisdom of the world, then there will be a quicker payoff. If I just follow the wisdom of the world, then I'll get what I want a little bit quicker. What direction is our ambition pointing in? Is it pointing inward to ourselves or upward to God? Is it pointing down towards the earth or up towards the heavens? Is it pointing towards the temporary and transient or to the eternal and unswerving? At our community group this week, we were uh, talking about The Greatest Showman, the movie, uh, musical, musical movie, uh, in which the, the guy, P.T. Barnum, seems to have this very desperate, selfish ambition where he wants to make it. He grew up with nothing, and he wants to be in the upper echelons of the world. And so he does everything he can to fight and fight to get there. And he throws aside, at times, his family, at times, his friends, at times, those who look up to him, whatever it takes to achieve the goal. Whatever it takes to get the ambition. We might have waited a little while to see what God was going to do about our situation. We may have, have trusted for a little while, but soon enough, a whisper creeps in. Our hearts start to notice with jealousy that see, things seem to work out better for those who are following the wisdom of the world. Why does that person get those things? Jealousy and selfish ambition settle in. The wisdom of the world James says, is unspiritual. It's demonic in nature. It's all about me. Narcissism, individualism, jealousy and ambition, all seeking my glory, our glory, earthly glory and fame for my name. But the wisdom of the world time and time again leads to fracture and corruption. It leads to disorder and wickedness. It leads to division and despair. And ambition rarely subsides once we've accomplished the goal. 
It just shifts its focus a little bit more. Against the backdrop of this worldly wisdom that can never satiate, Scripture gives us a better alternative. True wisdom. Wisdom from God. Wisdom from above. In James 3, 17 to 18, James writes, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. James wants to tell us what true wisdom is. He wants to show us what true wisdom is. He tells us that the fruit of a life marked by true wisdom culminates in peace. He gives us a list of virtues which helps to identify those who have wisdom from above. And James in this section tells us something he's told us before. As one commentator, Doug Moo, says, like true faith before it, true wisdom is identified by the quality of life that it produces. It all comes back to what does this actually do in our lives? How do we now live in light of the wisdom of God? And James gives us seven marks of wisdom from above. Seven traits that characterize the wisdom from God. The first, he says, is pure. Wisdom from above is first pure. Purity. Where the wisdom of the world is marked by every vile practice, the wisdom from above is marked by purity. Purity is a bit of an obscured thing in our modern world. When we think of purity, we, we kind of reduce it to one specific facet of purity, which is sexual purity. And sexual purity is an important part of purity, but it is under a broader umbrella of purity in general. And in Scripture, it seems time and time again, purity is more broadly defined as one who, whose primary focus is on God. In James 4, verse 8 a little further on, he, he, uh, James writes, Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hearts, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. For James, purity is a purity of heart. It's a single-minded devotion to God. In Psalm 24, it says, Who can ascend the mountain of God? The one who is pure in heart. Jesus, likewise, the pure in heart. Purity of heart, according to Soren Kierkegaard, a Danish philosopher, is... Purity of heart means to will one thing. It's a, it's a single-minded devotion. Purity, the purity from God, is a single-minded devotion, not to the things of the world and to our selfish ambitions and jealousies and desires, but to the things of God. It's a single-minded devotion to God himself. The first mark of, of wisdom from above is purity. The second is peaceableness. Where the wisdom of the world is marked by disorder, the wisdom from above is marked by peaceableness. The one who's truly wise seeks not to divide unnecessarily, but is a presence which brings with it peace. Proverbs 3.17 says that wisdom's ways are ways of pleasantness and her paths are marked by peace. Wisdom from God, the wisdom from above, is shown in our peaceableness. The, the uh, third mark, gentleness. Gentleness is the third mark of wisdom from, from God, wisdom from above. This could be translated as non-combative, 
but the image is of someone who lives according to the wisdom from above, uh, who does not get angry or combative in the midst or in the face of provocation. Worldly wisdom leads to division. It leads to destruction. Heavenly wisdom leads to steadfastness in the face of provocation. Think of Jesus. Maligned, beaten, brought before Pilate, questioned. The peaceable Jesus, the gentle Jesus, does not respond in the face of provocation, but he remains steadfast to what is true. Wisdom from above is marked by gentleness. It's marked by a reasonableness. Whereas those who are striving out of selfish ambition tend, to show, tend towards unreasonableness. They want what they want and no one can challenge them otherwise. Those who are filled with the Spirit and the wisdom from above are marked by a reasonableness and gladly submit and redirect their life and convictions to the truth of the Word of God. In Scripture, in Acts 17, we get a, kind of a, an interesting picture of this reasonableness and unreasonableness. Paul goes to two, two cities. The first is Thessalonica. In Thessalonica, he goes to the synagogue. He teaches in the, in the synagogue. He preaches about Jesus. And the church, the Jews in, in, the, in the synagogue in Thessalonica, they want to stone him. They want to kill him. Paul slips away. He ends up in Berea, the next city that he walks to. And undeterred by the fact that they just tried to kill him in Thessalonica, he walks into the synagogue in Berea. And he reasons from Scripture with them day in and day out. And he teaches them about the, the Christ, Jesus. And as the, the Bereans sit in the synagogue hearing the teaching, they examine what Paul is saying to the truth of Scripture. And when they are fully convinced that what Paul has taught them is in fact true to Scripture, they come to believe. Wisdom from above is marked by a reasonableness, and that reasonableness has to do with how we respond to Scripture when we come to it. The fifth mark is full of mercy and good fruit. Rampant, vile practices mark those who are consumed with worldly wisdom, but mercy and good fruit is the mark of those who follow after the wisdom of God. Concern for those who are suffering, Working towards alleviating suffering rather than an all-consuming concern for the self is a sign that one is filled with the wisdom from God, the wisdom from above. Sixth and uh, second to last, impartiality. Following that James wrote, following what James wrote at the beginning of chapter two, partiality towards people for their outward appearance, uh, for riches or for pores, or that which cannot be controlled is evidence of a life marked by worldly wisdom. Division based on class or appearance or anything else is a division that isn't based in Scripture. Those who have the Spirit, those who have wisdom, the wisdom of God, are the nonpartisan among us. Jesus welcomes all who come to him in faith. So too, the one with heavenly wisdom welcomes all who come to Christ in faith. The seventh one, the last one, sincerity. In a similar vein to the impartiality before, those who are sincere and firmly convict, convicted and convinced of their beliefs 
pure in both belief and action, longing for God to be glorified. In Philippians 1, Paul contrasts two types of people who are preaching the gospel. Himself, imprisoned for the gospel, doing it sincerely, not for his fame or glory, but so that that the name of Christ would be glorified. And those who are preaching the gospel, he says, out of an ambition for their name. He says, they're both preaching the gospel. One of them is doing it sincerely with the wisdom of God. The other one is doing it out of a selfish ambition that they might be glorified, that they might gain the glory. The wisdom from above is marked by sincerity. Again, this list of James finds a counterpart in Galatians 5, to 25, where he says, where Paul says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, Paul says, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Whether it be the fruit of the Spirit or this list of seven virtues in James, it can all be summarized into one point, which he gives us in James 3.18. A harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. It can be summarized into one point. Peace. Those who live in peace make peace. Those who sow peace reap righteousness. Those who have the spirit and the wisdom from above are proven in their peaceableness, James says. And in fact, all seven of these virtues can be summarized in one person, Jesus Christ. Who is more pure, more peaceable, more gentle and reasonable, more merciful and good, more impartial and sincere than Jesus himself? In fact, I believe in Proverbs that that Jesus himself is is the wisdom from God. Proverbs tells us in Proverbs 8, 27 to 31, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made the firm the skies above, when he established the foundations of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limits so that the waters might not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master workman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world, and delighting in the children of man. I don't know who else this could be other than Jesus. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. Without him was not anything that was made was made. Jesus himself is the culmination of God's revelation, and Jesus is the wisdom of God himself who gives us a perfect example of what a truly wise life looks like. He gives us the blueprints for the life and calls us to obediently follow after him. According to Jesus, those who flourish, those who are indwelt with the Spirit, those who have the wisdom from above are the poor in spirit, the mourners, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, the makers of peace, and those persecuted for righteousness' sake. So whether it be Jesus or Paul or James, they're all saying the same thing. The wisdom from God will be displayed in the peaceableness of our lives. And the peaceableness of our life 
will be a witness to those around us that we are not operating on the same system as them. So church, glorify God in the peaceableness of your lives. Lay aside the wisdom of the world which will only bring about havoc and destruction. Trust that God by his spirit will guide his steps. Trust these words that the psalmist gives us in Psalm 119. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Turn away from the worldly wisdom. Turn away from the things that that provoke our ambition and jealousy and turn to God. A little later in Psalm 119, he says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God in Scripture guides his people to follow the wisdom that he has revealed to us. So look to Scripture. Look to Jesus. God in Christ has shown us how to live in accord with his wisdom. God, through the Spirit, guides us, helps us, comforts us, assures us, empowers us, and enlightens the path before us that we might live in obedience. Fix your eyes on Christ, O church. Look to the one who showed what a peaceable life in submission to the wisdom of God looks like. And when you stumble, when the temptations of the world, when the wisdom of the world comes crushing in, look beyond the momentary, transient, temporal things to that which is eternal and unswerving. Look to Christ, our only hope. And look to the day that he will return and we will be his people and he will be our God and there will be no more mourning nor crying nor selfish ambition nor jealousy anymore. Look to that day. Hope for that day. And if you're here and you don't yet believe, let me urge you to put aside the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world will only lead to disorder. It only leads to vile practice. Set aside the things of the flesh. Walk in step with the wisdom of God, for God alone can satisfy. Selfish ambition will always leave us wanting and longing for more. Jealousy will keep your eyes wandering from what you have to what the person next to you has. That's better than what you have. Trust in God and God alone, and we can find true Lasting satisfaction, not based on the fleeting things of life, but based on the eternal things of God himself. Church, James wants to tell us that the source of our wisdom is proven in the fruit of our life. May we let our conduct prove that the source of our wisdom is not the world, is not the demonic, is not the kingdom of Satan, but is rather the wisdom of from above. From God Himself. As the band comes up to close off, we're gonna, I'm just gonna throw out two questions. You can take them home to the, think about them on your own. You can bring them to your community group to discuss as a group. But in what situations do you find you're most likely to feel tempted to follow the wisdom of the world? James will tell us in chapter four, which we'll get to next week, that there's a war going on for the between the world and the wisdom from above. And we're all facing this until Christ returns. We will all be facing this, this interior struggle and battle until Christ returns. So when do you feel these temptations? And when you're facing them, what can you do to overcome them? What things can you put in place? What practices can you put in place that you might overcome the, the struggle and temptation to the worldly things and rather keep your hope and focus on God?